everybody, listen to me. Listen. Beneath this sinister mountain, a man is buried alive, trapped by a cave-in. And from every part of a shocked and anxious nation, the crowds stream to watch the desperate rescue crews fighting against time, battering their way to the barrier of solid rock, while far below, a daring reporter makes his way into the treacherous, crumbling tunnel that is the only lifeline between the helpless victim and the outside world. You'll be out of here by tomorrow morning. No, I won't. I'll never reach me by tomorrow morning. You'll be out of here in 12 hours. Hang on! Kirk Douglas has his greatest role as the reporter who would do anything for a story. Podcast that takes a fresh look at old movies. My name is Billy Culpa. Here is my good friend and film critic, Will Pfeiffer. Will, hello there. Billy, how you doing? I'm great. We're back. We're back. Gosh, it's good to be back. We say we're back at the top of every like third episode. <laughs> I know we do because we <laughs> delay it so often, but we really are back right now. So This week's featured movie is 1951's Ace in the Hole. But first, I'd like to ask my friend Will, have you seen any good movies lately? Uh, I've seen some good movies lately, but in the interest of sort of broadening the question and bringing in some other people, um, I was alerted to something on IMDb's Facebook page, which first of all, I guess I was alerted to the fact that IMDb has a Facebook page, but um, my mom, who may be one of our biggest fans, she listens to every episode and usually agrees with you, oddly enough. That's because um, I'm right. Well, let's see. She's, she's <laughs> being nice. <laughs> but uh, uh, they, the IMDb had a thing that... Um, they were asking people what are the most powerful moments or I guess you could say scenes in movies. So I reached out to the out of theaters uh, listening audience and asked them to submit some. So I've got a bunch of people submitted. I've got a few of my own. Billy, I think you've got a few. So should we uh, whip through these quickly? Yeah. Hey, before we get to the audience ones, I'd actually like to hear what your ones are. Let's let's expound on yours a little bit and then maybe we'll run through the audience ones. Just okay. Shorter comments. I have a whole ton of them, but I'm going to try and uh, I'll just do a few. And I'm trying to do ones that, that aren't real common. You know, move, there's certain movies that tend to show up, but I'm going to try and pick scenes that... Uh, Fair enough. Yeah, I have a couple here. I, I Actually, it looks like I have six, but um, I don't, I don't right. have too much to say on them. But yeah, I mean, so th- just to reiterate, we are going over just big time, all time moments in movies. Yeah, like powerful movies. Well, what, what's your what's top of mind? What's your first one? Um, You know, one of the first ones I thought of was uh, in movie Back to the Future of all things. And it's the scene when um, George McFly, Marty's dad, there it's all rigged up. So he's going to bust in on Marty trying to put the moves on a lane and Marty will let him beat him up and then he'll be the hero and da da da. But it switches. So Biff is in there. He's basically sexually assaulting Elaine. George opens the door thinking it's going to be Marty and he sees Biff and he's worried. I mean, like it's at the point where Biff is probably going to kill him or severely injure him. And I think it's, Crispin Glover gives one of the best line readings I've ever heard because he just says, like Biff says, get out of here. This is none of your business. And he like says, no, Biff, you leave her alone. And he says it in this perfect voice of a guy 
who knows he is about to get slaughtered, but he's like taking this this one moment in his life he's standing up for what's right. And I always think that's a it's a weird moment, but I think it's a very powerful moment. There's a little quiver in his voice. It's yeah. not terrible, but it's not it's on purpose. He nails it. It's like, you know, because being brave isn't not being scared. It's doing something when you are scared. And, and then he nails Marty's mom. He does. Well, he's Marty's dad. It all works out in the Jesus. end. <laughs> All right, my the first one I wrote down. I, I think that's a good choice, by the way. The first one I wrote down. I actually have a little game I want to play out of this. I'm, I picked the movie game. Seven. I like this, and I'd like okay. to know what scene you think in Seven. I'm talking Seven. About. Um, and it's like a powerful emotional scene. You're saying, right? Yeah. Uh, does it have to be emotional? I mean, okay. it is kind of Power- emotional, but but it. I mean, it's too easy to guess the ending when he says what's in the box. Is it that kind it? of is. It's actually okay. just before he says what's in the box, and that's that's because it's Morgan Freeman. Just screaming frantically into his walkie-talkie. John Doe has the upper hand. Right, John, John Doe. Has, Doe has, just and the, it's like good. when that's happening, you're going, "Holy shit!" Like because you don't quite know. Like they they let you know the Morgan Freeman moment. Right, ahead of right, time, right. But you don't. You still don't know what it is. You kind of like there's just a sense of dread, and you have a horrible sense of dread. <laughs> a horrible. But you you don't really know. And then once the minute Brad Pitt says, "What's in the box?" That's right. when you go, oh my god! Like it's think, a, it just snaps into focus. Oh my god! I think I mentioned this when we reviewed the movie on it on an episode long ago. But a bunch of us went to see that opening night from the newspaper where we all worked, and afterwards we went out for drinks or something, and nobody said anything. We're just sitting around <laughs> the table staring at each other, like, "What did we just see?" You know, I I, I don't. I told you this before. I don't mind violence, but I hate the insides of people. I don't really like seeing that. <laughs> And seven is one with a lot of insides of people. There's a lot of insides, yeah. There's and a, it's there's just it's an uncomfortable watch. I've gotten kind of used to it, desensitized to that movie, <laughs> you know. So like, but God, it's well, a anyway. gut punch, man. What's your next pick? Um, the, my next pick is a movie called Night of the Hunter, which we've never done. We should do. It's from um, I can't remember the year. The fifties. Directed by Charles Lawton, who's best known as an actor. This is the only movie he ever directed. He directed one movie in his life, and it's great. It stars Robert Mitchum as this like evil preacher who's looking for these two kids who have this money that their dad, who was like a criminal, stole, and it's hidden in this doll, and he chases them all over the country. And there's a scene when the kids barely get away from him, and then they're going down this river at night. It's a black and white movie, and they're in, it's a little boy and a little girl. And they're in this boat at night. It's it's almost hard to explain, but it's it's this little girl. It's not really her singing, but it's supposed to be like this ethereal voice is playing, and they're just drifting down this river at night. And in the foreground, you see like a frog and a rabbit, and it's it's almost surreal. But every time I see this, I get chills right up my spine. I mean, I cannot watch it without just really like. Ugh. It's it's and it's so beautiful. That's what it is. It's like creepy, but it's it's just gorgeous. It takes my breath away. My two thoughts are: I don't I don't know what you're talking about. I know <laughs> some people do. And I was gonna say, uh, I, I'm like, hey, you should pick things that are more mainstream or something that more people will know. But the thing about this particular podcast right. is there's just this huge amount of audience who knows exactly what you're talking about. Some so. do, and we're when we get to the audience picks, there's some stuff in there. You know, I mean, there, yeah. there's some classics, and I I got a couple others that are classics. But I'll, uh, that's one of the ones. Most of mine are going to be 90s and, and newer, for sure. Right, most um, of mine are much older, as you can guess. That makes sense. Of, that makes perfect. I'm, I'm not, an old I'm not going to dwell on these too much. And it's too bad that it got canceled this week. But um, the Bell Bottom song during Baby Driver, for me, is just a... It's it's maybe my favorite car chase ever. When is he's that the opening? The yeah, that's, that's the opening scene, right? Yeah, but it, yeah. it's the music has kind of been there the whole time. 
but you don't understand that you're in like a lip sync movie right now. Yeah. You know, like you're just you see you see John Hamm, you see the guy from uh, The Walking Wounded, you see or Punisher or whatever. You you see all these, you know, OK, we're about to rob a bank. And then all of a sudden uh, Ansel Elgort, El- Elgort. He starts, yeah, he starts singing along, the yeah. the like, ladies and gentlemen, you know, or whatever, and and it just kicks in, and it's it's perfect. It, it's yeah. such a great. I, it's my favorite car chase. I, That's which, a good scene. It's yeah, a, and it's like how he he switches the red cars, you know. And then there's a yeah. great moment with John Hamm like pats him on the shoulder. He's so just impressed with what he just yeah. did. I like I like when um oh God, I can't I'm sorry I don't know the Punisher's name I should know it. He's famous enough now. Wolf of Wall Street. Um, oh, he was he was in Walking John, Dead. John um, Bertham. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. He is good. Everyone's good in that movie. Yeah, yeah. But he like points forward with the sunglasses on and mm-hmm. and baby just puts it in reverse and that kicks off the car chase. By the way, he, if that movie wasn't canceled with having Kevin Spacey in it, it's not. Well, it has to be now. It's double canceled, canceled, right? I'm, I don't want to get into listen to the as episode. somebody who's a huge fan of Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown, both directed by Roman Polanski. You can make your, you know, it may be canceled, but you can still admire the work itself. That's all I'm going to say. You just do it privately. You do it. Well, <laughs> you just, you know, you can separate the art and the artist. Most artists, like, you know, Picasso was an asshole. My next pick is um, movie Paths of Glory, which actually stars Kirk Douglas, who we'll be talking about later in the episode. It's one of Stanley Kubrick's early movies. It's set in World War One. It's about... Um, uh, a group of soldiers in the French army are sent to go on this mission. It's a it's a suicide mission, and everyone knows it. Basically, the whole troop doesn't go, so the military higher-ups pick three people to be scapegoats, try them for cowardice, and execute them. So it's a bleak movie all about the folly of war and the cruelty of man. But at the end, all the surviving soldiers are in this bar, and the bartender, he brings out this singer who, who's a German singer, and they're all booing her, and they're but she's like kind of cute, so their guys are all wolf whistling it, woo, woo, woo. And yeah, she's yeah, obviously yeah. terrified. She's got like tears on her cheeks, and she's standing up there, and he goes, but she can sing a little. And so she starts singing this song. She doesn't sing it that well. She's obviously scared and this and that. But as she sings it, like the crowd falls silent. And it's like, it's so perfectly shot because without saying, nobody explains what's happening, but you can see that these guys are somehow being like connected to back to humanity. Like they're just taken aback. And by the end of the scene, like they're humming along because they don't know the words because it's in German. Some of them are crying. And then Kirk Douglas finds out that they have to go right back to the front. So it's like, it's so bleak. Sure, sure. And the, yeah. the, 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 not the twist, but the little trivia is, is it Kubrick? Um, the woman, the actress who played the singer became his wife not long after that. He married her. Oh, it's a great scene. It's real. Uh, I, I just, I rewatched it in preparation for this and I was just like, oh, it's devastating. <laughs> you, uh, um, you did pick emotional scenes. I, I think maybe I misunderstood the question because I, most of my list here is maybe I'd say iconic scenes, just scenes that like when I think of a movie or I, I think of just something that's very memorable to me. Um, I'm gonna run through That's mine. That's fine. Quick. It just said so powerful. Can, you know, you can be whatever you want. Yeah. The the light fight in Skyfall. Oh, that's a nice scene. Yeah, the, it's. I, I when I think of like my favorite cinematography, I think that might be Conrad no, Hall. I could no, be wrong. Or not Conrad it's, Hall. Um, um, it's um, uh, it's uh, it's the guy who does all the, the Coen really brothers. He finally won it for Blade Runner. Um, oh, oh, I, Roger Deakins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Roger Deakins. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's um, cool. It, it's just it's stunning. Like the the silhouette. They're they're up in the tower. I it's think, beautiful, Kong, and it's just I can't think of a cooler looking scene of anything. The it's it's kind of weird. It's not as good, but um, 
I was trying to think of like, what's my favorite look? You know, you, you mentioned great iconic scenes and I was thinking about cinematography. The other one I want to throw out there is there's this, I don't know, magic hour camp scene in, um, at the start of, um, Jojo rabbit. The, like, oh, I know what camp yeah. hasn't been shot yet. And, and the skies. Like, yeah, I think it's all CGI. So it gets I they probably juiced it, it. Yeah, but no, I know what I know what you mean. It does look great. It's yeah. stunning, like to a point where I watched it the first time I'm watching it. I'm in my house by myself. I was like, I'm going to rewind it and watch yeah. that again because I just was like, holy yeah. crap. No, that's a good scene. Uh, I know what you mean. That's all. What else you got? I got. Let's see. Um, a c- couple of quick ones. Another Kubrick. And I think this shows up later is from somebody Um, when Slim Pickens rides the atomic bomb at the end, destroying the world. It's just such a surreal funny terrifying it's so moment dumb. huh it's so dumb it's so but it's dumb. like perfect it's such a bold scene it's like let's be as crazy as we can and it's so you know it's like him being a cowboy on the other hand it's obviously like the missiles like a giant penis you know i mean it's like all these themes are running through this one surreal scene and the fact that they couldn't quite pull off the special effects back then i think adds to it because it almost looks like something from a nightmare it's not quite perfect Later reimagined in the uh, the classic Armageddon. <sighs> that movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's terrible. Um, I had two sci-fi picks for you. Okay, um, hit me with Gandalf them. saying, fly you fools. Um, or I guess that's sci-fi, I'm sorry. But like sort of the... Uh, fantasy. fantasy. Epic fantasy. Kinda, yeah. But like where, where Gandalf is... You've, you you sat with this movie. I saw this in theaters. I had never heard of Lord of the Rings. I honestly went to this thing cold. I had no idea what was, I was in. You knew there was a Lord. There were some rings. There's only I, one sort ring. Sort of. I didn't Isn't know there? anything. <laughs> I, I mean, really, I, I kind of vaguely knew what a Hobbit was. But, you know, from like Saturday morning cartoons or something. But uh, you spend that whole movie with Gandalf. He's, you know, he's our wizard. He's our, he's our guide. And then he, you know, he has got his fingers on the edge of the cliff and he says, fly, you fools, and let's go. And I remember it being like affecting, you know, just being like, oh, my God, Gandalf died. Holy crap. He comes back. Spoiler. I know. I know. But you think (laughs) of that moment all the time where he says, fly, you fools, he starts to fall. And then the uh, the the Balrog or whatever follows him down. It's just it's cool. It's it's an important thing. And then um, I know you don't care about this anymore, but Harry Potter, when Dobby dies, uh, genuinely affected me in a way that I, it caught me off guard and I felt stupid and had to wipe a tear. My wife looked at me and I was like, I know. It's I Dobby like, though. I like the scene. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's one of my classic scenes. I like the scene where Dobby, like they trick him into getting his freedom. Oh yeah, with the sock. I, that's a nice little scene. I saw that not too long ago and it, it, it doesn't have the like, once you know it's coming, you know, the, yeah, the surprise I'll, is gone. So yeah. it's like, mm. yeah. it's it's not as well done as I thought, but. Um, what what else you got? Are you okay, more? a couple others. Yeah, I got. Um, then this one, I, this is from Casablanca. It's when uh, the Nazis are singing their song, and then uh, Renault comes down and says, uh, "Play La Marseillaise," which is the French national anthem. And then every and then Rick nods, and and then they all start to sing. That always gets me. That's so good. yeah. That is that's a really really good scene. It is. Right. And the the one woman who was like just like seconds ago, like cuddling up to the Germans, like she realizes, you know. She, her pride. And then it's also when you realize that Rick is like, you know, he starts to make his move toward being a noble person kind of a thing. Casablanca. It's a classic movie, but it's such a great, fun, like emotional movie. Yeah, I've only seen it the one time. I, I remember giving it a good review. I just, I don't remember the, you know, it doesn't have any emotional resonance yeah. for me. I, I saw it as homework for this podcast, not as, you know. It's a good movie, man. Um, okay, a couple other quick ones. Um, yeah, do yours. From uh, my favorite movie of all time, The Apartment, the scene when um, Fred Murray as the boss, uh, it's Christmas Eve. Shirley MacLaine, who he's having the affair with, gives him this record album from a club they always go to. And he obviously didn't get her anything. So he just hands her a $100 bill. 
And as it's, she takes it, you just see she realizes what she is to him. And it's, it's just so cold. It's like one yeah. of the coldest scenes in the movie. It's so well done. It's so simple, but so well done. Um, a movie that I know you like and we should do sometime on the podcast, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That is on my list. Holy a great crap, movie. that's my last one. Well, what's yours? Uh, it's it's not as, um, I think, important as some of the others, uh, but there's a moment where um, Howard, the doctor, his phone mm-hmm. rings. Yeah. And it's like the middle of the night and it's um, it's the Hulk calling him. <laughs> Mark uh, Ruffalo. Not the actual <laughs> character of the Hulk. Oh, that would be something. <laughs> and his wife just flicks him a little look. And I think she says something to the effect of like, how could you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or whatever. And then the next scene is... Uh, um, Mary Jane, and Kristen Dunst, <laughs> another Marvel character. I know they're all everybody's a Marvel character or a Hobbit. Actually, I, in that movie. I think Doctor Howard is a Marvel character. He's the the guy who messes with the Terrasect. No, he's in Batman Begins. <laughs> he's a DC oh, he really? character. Yeah, he's the villain in Batman Begins, like the gangster. Wow, oh, I think. Uh, all right, I'm going to look this up next time you talk. But uh, it's Tom Wilkinson. Yeah. Tom Wilkinson, you're right, right, right. Oh, you know what? I thought it was. I thought it was the. Um, Stellan Stellan Starsgard. I thought it was Starsgard. Yeah, yeah, that's who I thought. I mixed him up. You're right. You're right. Uh, anyhow, um, the the next scene is like um, um, Kristen Dunst and Mark Ruffalo and, and um, Howard, and the the reveal is that this isn't the first time. Like we we know we get that right. it's Jim Carrey and it's Kate Winslet, and they're repeating this how many number of times. But this it's the first time you realize it's actually Howard and Mary Dunst. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's there. They've done this before. And his it's wife so shows twisted. up and it's just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And it's not even like she's she's making fun. She's just defeated. She's just like, it's I like, cannot Whoa. believe we're doing this again. And not not even she's not even worried about like herself. She's really sad for Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, because Kirsten Dunst has no idea that this keeps no happening. Idea. And she yeah. that that leads to them. She takes all the the files, tells all the tapes and everything, mails them all out. It's yeah. so it's so well done, and it's like it's a gut punch because it's it's you didn't see it coming because the whole movie's not about them. They're side characters. No, they're yeah, they're side characters. No, it's about just them. really well developed background. Joel and Clementine. But my scene from that movie is um it's toward the okay, it's when you know because they're they're reliving their past but in reverse. They're working. Uh, Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey are working back to when they first met, and then that's when the relationship when they eliminate all those memories, then it'll all be over, and he will have forgotten her and all that, mm-hmm. and. They're at the day they met, like on this beach house, and they alternate between, you know, they they know what's going on, but they're sort of reliving these moments. It's I mean, it's very, you know, it's a Charlie Kaufman movie, so it's crazy to explain. But there's a yeah. moment when she turns to him and just says, in all seriousness, she says, this is it. It's going to be gone soon. And it's like, it's so powerful because it's like when you're in a relationship that's, you know going bad or dying or whatever like the end is like the part when you're just like you just want this to be over or when there's you know it's it's when it's no fun but right. the beginning <laughs> is when you have all these like perfect e- memories of those you know that golden era when it was first new yeah and so it's like they're at the end but they're also at the beginning and i just think it's such a like a brilliant now's when you would really feel the pain of it being over because it seems so perfect it seems like it's all this possibility because you're at the beginning we will have to do this movie sometime it's I, a the, great movie because I, I i would crit- my only criticism is just the the setup to that punch is too farcical 
It's Jim Carrey in a diaper. It's them under the table looking up. But that's poster. earlier. That's earlier know, in the movie. But that's like sort of them chase, running through his memories, trying to they're trying to hold on to everything. Yeah. Because they don't they decided they want to take it back. They don't want to erase each other. Well, he doesn't want you don't know what she really wants because Fair this enough. is all his memory of her. She's really not in there, you know. Yeah, but it it gets so Looney Tooney, and I know it's it's Jim Carrey, so that's you know what you got to do. But I like it. Well, we'll talk anyway. About th- it. That's all. Man, the only other one I had, man, was um the the whole. <laughs> it's it's unfair, but like the the tail end of the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards, where uh, Christoph Waltz kind of oh in the with the farmer why the, yeah why yeah. he's speaking I think he's speaking it's English a hell of a scene. instead of French or whatever. You're just like <gasps> he switches oh it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a great scene. It's just great. Uh, it's it just. If you if you get to that point, if you if you're sitting down, I think it's like a 14 minute scene. It is that you're movie is the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that like movie that. is like six scenes. You know, yeah. it's like yeah, long, yeah. great scenes. That's it. But my my last one that I'll give, I got it, but I'll we can skip is uh at the end of the Terminator, the original Terminator, when Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor has been through everything and she finally like gets it the terminator like she tricks him to go into the crusher and then she just says you're terminated fucker and it's like <laughs> you yeah. have been with her this whole time and you you would have said that you're like so happy that she is finally going to destroy it that's, i think that's right yeah. you're right that's a hell of a movie <laughs> do you want to get to some of the audience ones? we spent a little bit of time on this section i'll yeah. try to maybe trim up a little bit here in editing but just yeah. maybe run through some of your highlights because there was there was a good response to this. Okay. Honestly, thanks everybody for yeah they got week and we I only posted this like half hour ago maybe an hour yeah, ago I know, but I know people were all over it and I, first I want to say um, our wives actually contributed so my wife um, said this the scene we, in, we have to lead with our wives because they've never contributed to this podcast in five years I know it's they've never listened to this podcast <laughs> in five years not not even once but um my, Amy my wife um, suggested uh, from. To Kill Mockingbird, there's a scene uh, after the trial when uh, Gregory Peck has been trying to get this African-American man acquitted on a rape charge, and he's walking out, and the the the, the African-American community is up in the gallery watching, and he, the one minister tells Scout, Gregory Peck's daughter, he says, stand up, your dad's walking through. It's like, mm. show, you know, because show some respect for him, and it's it's a great scene. It's a good yeah, scene. Yeah, totally. And she also suggested the scene in Steel Magnolias, a movie I have never watched and will never watch. But it's when uh, Joey Roberts, who plays Sally Field's daughter, has died in his funeral. And it's very sad. So there you go. Sure. I, I and somebody else that suggested that, I think. So so multiple people. Um, there was a couple for the Pixar movies. Yes. Um, which, you know, it's like, I don't know. I think that seems so obvious. But just the other day, maybe two days ago, there was um, it was like the five or six year anniversary of inside out coming out that's i think that's one of their best their last great movie i think is inside out i think it might be their best movie i, I was thinking about a lot it's but really apparently good. the guy the guy who plays uh bing bong richard kind richard kind was actually crying while recording the lines and you could hear it and while i read the description like the little factoids about that movie i teared up thinking about Richard Kind reading those lines. I was like, that, that thing is so emotionally devastating that it like affected me reading about it. So it, it makes my Pixar list. It's a good movie. Also, and obviously, the, the mom dying in Up is just... No. That movie's True. not anywhere near as good, but that, that little The beginning is thing, great. The rest great. of the movie, I challenge... It's just, I don't think the rest of the movie's that great. I think it would have made a great short film, basically. Yeah, and their short films are fantastic. They have one called Float. Have you ever heard of that? I don't know if I've seen that. 
float is i think it's like a mech it's it's five minutes it's like a mexican-american dad um with a, a little poofy haired baby and the baby can fly and at first he's super delighted by it they like step into their front yard and the baby's like floating Maybe and he's like yeah that. this is great and the neighbors are horrified they walk by and they're kind of like what your baby's flying what is wrong with you and the dad feels shame and like takes the kid puts him on a leash runs in the house and time passes it sort of like does a fade um, and it's been like 10 years or five years or something. And the next time they go out, the dad is just trying so hard to keep the kid from floating. And they go to a playground and he blows up at him. In par- and anyway, it's, it's a metaphor for special needs is what it ends up. Being. Oh, very good. And it's it's like with, I have two special need kids. Oh, my God. I'm I'm actually tearing up here thinking about it. It's really <laughs> it's very effective. Pixar does it's it really again. Well I hate Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> Those bastards. John Lasseter was canceled. Speaking of. Yeah, canceled. I know. I know. <laughs> Um, so you want me to whip through some of these? Um, yeah, I'd love to. And okay. Let's get to our uh, featured movie. Let's see. We've got uh, Corey Ross as the Iron Giant, and you made some smart crack that said, I told Will <laughs> I not just, to pick this. I wanted this. to tell you before we started recording, don't pick Iron Giant. I wasn't going to, because it's, we talk everyone about it knows episode. it. But that does make me weep like a little Superman. girl. Um, Alan Cesar says, the re- the reveals in Fight Club and The Matrix, which I w- they were both great scenes. Mark Cole <laughs> says... Uh, the heap, Mark Cole actually had two of mine. The the bomb in Strange Love and uh, La Merced, yes, in Casablanca. And okay. uh, Roy speech in uh, Blade Runner. I saw a bunch of people. Everybody brought up the Blade Runner speech. And as we all know, uh, Rutger Hauer wrote that himself. On yeah. The- he imp- was it improvised or did he like write it? I think he wrote it down, but he came up with it. Got it. It's Got great. It. Um, my friend Chris Wadsworth said, uh, among others, the <laughs> door going up and Ripley standing there in the power loader at the end of Aliens. And then she says, Get away from her, you bitch. It's sort of in the same vein <laughs> yeah. of a, uh, you know, your terminated fucker scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andrew Wright said the end of uh, the father-son moment at the end of Big Fish, which is a, a fine film. That caught me off guard. Um, I, I didn't expect to see Big Fish get mentioned in our, you know, list of favorite scenes. I remember but- seeing Big Fish. I forget when it came out, but it was a, w- within at least a couple years after my own dad died. And there's a scene at the end where somebody, I think it's the dad is, is yelling, Will, Will, over and over. So oh, God, that's that. awful. Yeah, it did. You know. <laughs> um, Zach Cruzy, my friend and fellow podcast guy on the Pictures Within Pictures podcast, picked Michael Ortiz's Breaking Point, which I have never seen. But if you go to our Facebook page, Zach was kind enough to put uh, the full movie link on YouTube so we can all watch it. That seems legal. I know. Well, I don't know. It's a Japanese link, but it looks like it's in good shape. Um, w. Blaine <laughs> Dowler picked um, Superman flying in the Fortress of Solitude, a scene from 12 Angry Men, um, and Cap holds the hammer in uh, Endgame. You know what? I, I, I uh, That guy's great. W. Blaine Dowler's a great. He's been a very good, loyal listener. I really appreciate mm-hmm. all his contributions. But I every time I think about those Marvel movies now, I get mad. They feel so disingenuous. I don't think the I said disingenuous. I'm gonna redo that. They feel disingenuous. The uh the the moments don't feel earned. They seem earned when you watch it, but then sort of with time, I found that I just I don't believe any of them. You I I knew See, I think I feel down. the same way about Pixar sometimes. Is they maybe fair, that's fair. I mean, I just I my kids are so young that I'm still like in it. I'm not removed from those movies yet, but I'm I feel kind of out on the Marvel movies. I'm disappointed every time. Yeah, I still, I still, I don't the mean end to be like of, a uh, about it. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, that always gets me when they play the Cat Stevens song and everything. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Um, Wadsworth uh, also picked Marion Crane's final moments in the shower and Psycho, and then you <laughs> put pervert. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good 
joke. I know, that was a good joke. Um, he also put uh, Lecter doing the old switcheroo with the skin mask and silence lamps, which I just watched last weekend, and that scene definitely holds up. You would think the paramedics in that scene would like look at the body and be like, something's weird here. But you know, and yes, I agree with you, but I'll tell you, when the first time when I was watching that movie, nobody was thinking that. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. all the movie really has to do is get you for that initial burst. Then afterwards, yeah. you know. Um, he also had Life of Pi, which I haven't seen. Um, Alan Cesar said the f- funeral scene in My Girl, which I've never seen, but I know it involves Macaulay Culkin. I remember it being, he he dies of bees. He gets stung by a bee, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't mean to be. Dis- I, I didn't mean to yeah. be dismissive. My my wife saw that and like was all upset about it. She's like, "He's right." I was like, "All right." <laughs> Let's see. Um, Dan Saber Saberlich, uh, when Cliff Cliff signals his dog in What's Upon Hollywood, which is a pretty great scene. And then yeah, you know, all the yeah, hippies I, get I mean, killed because it, 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 you for, you forget about it until the moment it happens. Mm-hmm. You're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." I, I think know. I think a, a thing that a lot of those kinds of scenes have in common are that you didn't see it coming, but. Once it, it, it happens, it's not out of the. It's, it doesn't like escape the realm of possibility. You buy it, it like because it, it was all he, all the steps were laid in advance. Yeah, the, the universe is following its own rules, exactly. and when that happens and it works well, that those are the big successful moments. Right, exactly. Let's see. Chris Wadsworth had one more when the students climb on the desk and say, "Captain, my captain," from Dead Poet Society, which I, I saw I, it, like literally thirty years ago. I mean, yeah, I saw it in high school. It was a it was required. And um, uh, let's see, your own wife said up. Yeah, there she's right. And yeah. then uh, the other one, the one I was going to mention that uh, Dan Saberlich put was uh, when the baby cries in the fighting stop in Children of Men, which we covered not too long ago. And yeah, that's, that's a, a hell of a one scene. One of the first episodes. I, I completely agree. The The only other one I wanted to throw out there and we can move on is the top spinning at the end of Inception. Oh, OK. It, yeah. Inception can be long and it doesn't follow its own. I like Inception are. a lot. I there's there's this one thing that somebody pointed out to me that um, Tom Hardy Mad Max, near the end of the movie, just whips out a gun and says something effective. You got to have some imagination, man. That wasn't that near the end, though. Well, it's in the ice world, right? No, that was before they were in the ice world. It was well, when they were in rate, the city world. It doesn't seem like you should be able to take and make stuff up out of other people's dreams. Otherwise, what's the point of you could do anything you wanted? Why would you just get like a, a stealth bomber, you know, or whatever? Like, why would you just? I don't know. It, yeah, it's once I start thinking about the rules of that movie, I get. See, frustrated you, with it you take you're taking a movie about people going to dreams too seriously but i love the cut i love that cut man where like and that's something we should talk about someday too is like best cuts where the the camera cuts just before the wobble happens and you're like ah there you go i always remember there was a great joke on 30 rock when alec baldwin's character who was the nbc executive they were saying like he had to go somewhere and they're like we can sleep on the plane he says i never sleep on a plane i don't want to get incepted <laughs> <laughs> And with that, are you ready to talk about this week's featured movie? 1951's Ace in the Hole. Mr. Tatum? Yes, sir. Go ahead. What is it? Well, Mr. Boot, I was passing through Albuquerque. Had breakfast here. Read your paper. Thought you might be interested in my reaction. You bet I am. Well, sir, it made me throw up. I don't want you to think I expected the New York Times. But even for Albuquerque, this is pretty Albuquerque. All right. Here's your nickel back. Now, what's all this about my making $200 a week? Apparently, you're not familiar with my name. Can't say that I am. That's because you don't get the Eastern papers out here. I thought maybe once in a while somebody would toss one out of the super cheap and you might have seen my byline. Charles Tatum? Work in New York, Chicago, Detroit. What about the 200? 
I was coming to that. Mr. Boot, I'm a $250 a week newspaper man. I can be had for 50. Why are you so good to me? I know newspapers backward, forward, and sideways. I can write them, edit them, print them, wrap them, and sell them. Don't need anybody right now. I can handle big news and little news. And if there's no news, I'll go out and bite a dog. Ace in the Hole, uh, released in 1951, as we said. Um, it stars Kirk Douglas in one of uh, his better-known roles, uh, directed by Billy Wilder and written by... Walter Newman, Lesser Samuels, and Billy Wilder. And it is a dark, cynical story of journalism. So if you don't like the media, you may like this movie or you may hate this movie. But Kirk Douglas plays a reporter whose name is Chuck Tatum. He's uh, very ambitious, very, you know, he'll do whatever he can to get a story. Um, but his career's fallen on hard times because he was a big drunk and because he alienated everyone. So he winds up in New Mexico. He's got no money, he's got no career, no future, so he gets a job at a tiny little paper called the Albuquerque Sun Bulletin, and he tells him, he says, I'm a $200 reporter, or no, he says, I'm a $250 a week newspaper man, but I'll can be had for $50. How'd you like to make $200 a week? So this little reporter says, you know, whatever, he hires him. Um, Kirk Douglas is there for a while, there's none in your stories, he's bored, he's bored, he's bored, and then... There turns out there's a huge story coming. Well, it's he makes it a huge story. But anyway, a guy is trapped in a cave. He's looking for uh, Native American artifacts. The cave collapsed, so this guy named Leo Minosa is trapped in the cave, and they have to rescue him. You know, they're and he's he's it's his property, his business, right? Right. He has a little business, like a little roadside stand restaurant next to it with his his wife. And um, so Kirk Douglas stumbles onto this and um, he decides he, you know, he can smell a story. So he organizes the rescue effort. He hooks up with the sheriff, who's a weasel. You know, he kind of sucks up to him by portraying him in the newspaper positively. Um, they get the construction workers and they 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 convince the construction workers to drill from above rather than going from the side because it'll take longer from above and he can milk the story more. And gradually, as the story gets out, it gets covered by bigger papers. Tourists start coming. Um, Kirk Douglas hooks up with the wife who's running the restaurant. There's there's like thousands of people there. Families come and camp out because they all want to see the great spectacle of them rescuing this guy who's trapped in there. And um, it, I mean, you, you know, Kirk is so ambitious. He really couldn't care less about poor Leo, but he wants to keep him in there as long as possible to milk it. Then... Obviously, things go wrong. Um, Leo, it turns out it's too late for them to go in through the side because it's unstable. They can't risk a construction worker's lives. So should, do I, I can't remember. Do I spoil the endings or do I not spoil the endings? On oh, you can, I mean, the movie's only 71 years old. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, sure. so what happens is um, Leo, uh, because completely because of Kirk Douglas, Leo dies. And Kirk has to go out and tell everyone there's no more show. He's dead. You know, and and Kirk is he's upset. He maybe is getting a tiny bit of a conscience. Um, the wife was going to run away with him. She was happy to get rich. She couldn't possibly have cared about her husband. They get in a big fight because Leo t was like basically Leo's dying words. He said, like, I had an anniversary gift for my wife. It's hidden in the cabin. I hope she didn't find it. You know, he's still like delusional thinking he's getting out. So Kirk goes and finds it. it's this cheap little 
you know, fur stole. And the wife basically says, I don't want that crap. I can afford much better now. And Kirk's like, you're going to wear it. You're going to wear it. And he starts to strangle her. She stabs him with scissors. He goes off to get a priest. He's bleeding. He's dying slowly. The priest comes and gives last rites. And then Kirk finally stumbles back to the newspaper. He's like on his last legs. And he he tells the editor, he says, how'd you like to make $1,000 a week? I'm a $1,000 a week reporter. And you can have me for nothing. And then in what I consider one of the great final shots of a movie, Kirk Douglas somehow falls flat onto the ground perfectly so his dead face is right next to the camera and then that's how this jolly little movie ends with pretty much every single character except for the parents of leo minosa and the editor at the paper being decent people and everyone else is proven to be awful a jolly movie and no wonder it wasn't a big hit back in 1951 <laughs> so as you know i had a very tough time getting through this movie this i i swear to you i started and stopped <laughs> this is why we did we, we talked about doing this movie i think at the beginning of COVID. <laughs> yeah it took me five times i i started and stopped this movie five times and I'm the, i promise you on the final one i watched the thing beginning to end um i, I found kirk douglas to be so unlikable that yeah i didn't hear yeah. about his arc well, I know, but like he doesn't like, really right, have an arc. He does have an arc. I, I think he definitely does because he he realizes um, when it's by the time it's too late to save. Is it Leo? The guy's name? Leo. Is? Leo Minosa. That's when everything flips for him where he's like, nope, we've got to save this guy's life. We're going to go ahead and get the the you know, they could have gone the easy route for digging him out, but it would have only taken 12 hours. All right. And then he so wanted to milk that. He wanted to milk it, so he had him go the hard route, and that took six days, and the guy is about to die on day five. He ended up dying, I think they said, 10 feet from being rescued, mm -hmm. um, this man trapped in a cave. And once that realization happens, everything Kirk does after that is is in in the spirit of his his morals have changed. You know, he, he screws over the New York papers. He tries to help out the Albuquerque guys by giving them a story about how he killed this man. Because he's like, he's all willing to say, I did it. It's my fault. Yeah, the but... I mean, I know what you're saying. I don't know how good it is. I think he's just trying to absolve himself of like he. I, don't, I mean, I yeah, I, I, I like it. And I think it's fascinating, but I'm not still not willing to say that he's turned good at the end. I think he's still an arrogant prick. Well, at the very least, it's just it's a it's something different than like 90 minutes of oppressive assholery because that's like, that's what he is. For I that. like that because Kirk Douglas played that oppressive assholery so well. I think he's he's on he's he's got kind of like the. And you mentioned him earlier. He's got kind of the Alec Baldwin charm. Like he's got kind of like a, like the way he says things, knowing they're smug and assholey, and it doesn't matter because it's just like, yeah, I like that guy. I could see him being that, you know, that kind of type. Like, well, he had, yeah. Man. I mean, he was a huge, you know, he had huge charisma. He had, you know, the thing I, the thing I found weird too is I could definitely recognize Michael Douglas's voice every once mm -hmm. in a while. Um, so um, I asked you. Let me start with this. I asked you, what do you like about this movie? No, because you asked me, what should I watch for? What should you watch for in this movie? Yeah, well, what I was trying to get at is like, I'm I'm having a hard time giving a crap. Like, I just don't care. So give me give me something to like keep my eye on. Like, what 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 am I in for? What what's the? I think I said to you, what's the appeal? Like, what what is this movie? What's like its contribution to canon? You know, that's kind of what I was getting at. And what did you what did you tell me? I said, um, I said, watch for him. You know, why I said watch Douglas, obviously. Um, 
I said, watch, I'm trying to think what I said. I said, watch for, you know, just like a cynical portrait. I mean, few movies of this era are quite this cynical. Yeah, what, what, that's, that's, that was my takeaway, is that the reason why this movie is notable is that in 1951, you had happy days. You didn't, you didn't have a movie where every character <laughs> was conniving and, you know, up to no, out for themselves. True. Uh, and it was kind of fun to, it was, I, I admit, once, once you realize just how crappy the wife is, yeah, Jim now Sterling. You have, now you have two of them kind of co-conspirating. It's like, okay, he it got a little more interesting. You can kind of see what this movie's angle is, but it takes a really long time to get there. Eh, I mean, I think, well, I mean, you know, you don't meet the wife for a while, but I think, you know, you see Kirk personally. I mean, I think it's interesting because you see him as Chuck Tatum and he's kind of like this, like he's like a shark. He's just looking for something. He's so mad that he has to be at this crappy paper in the, you know, that in the middle of nowhere that's doing nothing and... So when he gets this big story, he's he's delighted. And I just like, you know, he lo- he knows how he's going to milk it, too. I mean, he sees this happening and boom. He's and and that's that's one of the things. So once I got into it, once I once I gave it, you know, once I hit the point where, OK, I'm in, I'm going to stick through this. I'm not going to ask Will to not do this movie. Uh, hey, I offered. <laughs> I know you did. I know you did. But I, we we'd mentioned it so many times. I just felt like the point of this podcast is to review classic movies. So let's, you know, tough it out. Let's do it. Um. Once it got rolling, I think maybe the only objective I had once I was in the only, uh, uh, I don't know, objection, I mean, that I had was that too many unbelievable things happened. Like, I, I don't understand why the journalist was like the hero. You know, why, why was that guy the one standing up? Like, I mean, that somebody had painted the reelect sheriff, yada, yada, whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, what you mean? The journalist is in. Kirk Douglas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like once once the thing gets out of control, once the wheels have spun and now you have a, a carnival outside and you have, I mean, literally a literal carnival and rides and people singing and. Um, yeah, it was it was re-released as the big carnival. Right. I, I saw that. But but at that point, the sheriff is in charge and to a point where it says on the mountainside, re-elect sheriff, whatever his name is. Um why, why the hell is Kirk Douglas standing up there and, and people are like pawing at him as he walks by in the crowds and stuff? And like, how did that guy become the hero? He's just a guy who helped coordinate some stuff. But I don't understand. I mean, I guess, you know, because he's a journalist, so he can make himself look good. And, and say, he was you know, manipulating everyone else. I mean, you know, he was the one who made that sheriff popular. And he was, you know, he was the one who was orchestrating everything. I mean, he's yeah. the, he's, the, he's not the hero of the movie, but he's the protagonist of the movie. How is he? Pretty good. Does it hurt him bad? Is he getting any sleep? Sure, he's fine. Well, you ought to see him smoking a cigar, reading the paper, making plans. All the doctor says is he's doing as well as can be expected. What does that mean? Means he's going to be fine. Means everything's going to be fine, doesn't it, Mr. Tatum? I don't know. At some point, you want to talk to law enforcement. You don't want to talk to Kirk Douglas. But but that law enforcement guy was Kirk Douglas was new. He was a big. He was a New York guy. Yeah. When that meant something in the middle of Albuquerque, you know. Yeah. He was glamorous. He was the other. He was the outsider. It was fun to see Albuquerque pre uh, Breaking Bad. I'm <laughs> <laughs> way pre Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me about the performances. Tell me um, why we we you know we went with this movie because. Kirk Douglas had just died. Yeah, it was the day way back when. <laughs> what day did Kirk Douglas die? Uh, February 5th. 
<laughs> so COVID so wasn't even a thing back then, really. On February 5th, you said we should do a Kirk Douglas movie. I right. not I don't know any of them. Um, I could see you never heard of the guy. Face. I mean, I he I saw his death photo and he looked like Red Skull. He was a like, hundred and three. I know, I know. I know. You <laughs> name was like, forget celebrities. Name another man who lived to be a hundred and three. Uh, you can't I, think I, of one. Can I you? can't think of any. No, I mean that's a hell of a run, especially for a man. Thank you for explaining to me that living a long time is hard. <laughs> it's hard for Kirk. Real that name my... Isser Danielovich. Uh, yeah, Isser Danielovich. What country? What, is that Russian? Like, what is he? Well, he was born in New York, but uh, he's uh, Russian Jewish heritage or Eastern European sure. Jewish. Sure, sure, sure. That all, yeah, because countries get taken over. Yeah, okay, got it. <laughs> uh, why did you pick this Kirk Douglas movie? You could have picked anything. I right? could have picked Paths of Glory. Was... I could have picked um, Bad and Beautiful, Detective Story, uh, Seven Days in May. I mean, he was, Kirk Douglas was a huge star for a long time. And I picked this one because I always thought Kirk Douglas was at his most interesting when he was playing a real bastard. Like, he plays a bastard in this. He plays a bastard in The Bad and the Beautiful. He plays a bastard in Detective Story. Oh, which came out within, like, the same year and a half, essentially, by the way. Sure. But, um, and this one, I thought it was just the most pure, unvarnished Kirk Douglas. I mean, it's a simple story. Aside from the crowd scenes of a million people, it's a small cast. You know, there's like a handful of main characters in this movie. You know, it's not a, you know, big giant cast like some of the other ones. So um, I picked it and I thought it would show, you know, and he, Kirk Douglas was interesting for a lot of reasons. But one of them is, you know, he he got his start in the 40s. It was big in the 50s, big in the 60s, you know, and kind of faded in the 70s and did a few things in the 80s. But he was one of those actors who came after like that first wave of sound actors like Jimmy Cagney and Edward G. Robinson and Clark Gable and those guys. Sure. So he had a different kind of style. He wasn't quite like where you get the Marlon Brando and James Dean and sort of that naturalistic acting. He was kind of an interesting bridge in between those two eras. And he was also very involved behind the scenes. He was like a he was a big producer um as we moved in the 50s. He produced Pazaglor and he produced Spartacus, both of which were big movies. Um and Stanley Kubrick has a lot to owe Kirk Douglas for his career because he hired him for those for those movies. Yeah. Um and Kirk Douglas also again this doesn't apply directly to Big Carnival, but Kirk Douglas also did a lot to to break the blacklist, you know, when they were when the Hollywood studios under pressure of right-wing politicians were not hiring actors, writers, producers, directors who they felt had communist ties. He hired Dalton Trumbo, who had been blacklisted, to work on Spartacus. And this is the important part. He put Dalton Trumbo's name in the credits. Dalton Trumbo wrote a bunch of movies under assumed names. But this one, Kirk Douglas said, no, we're going to put your name out there. We're going to, you know, he knew what he was doing. And he was taking some risks. But, you know, he could also sense that, that, that this was... This era was kind of moving toward an end, and he could speed it up, you know. So and that if, is, oh, go ahead. No, and and also, of course, he's obviously he's Michael Douglas's dad, yeah. and Michael Douglas actually got his big start as a producer before he became a movie star. He did some TV and some small roles, but um, the first big thing he did was he produced the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which won won him an Oscar as a producer before he wow. ever got one as an how actor. How old was he? How old was Michael Douglas then? Like 30? He was young. Um, I would have to. Yeah, I just, I just wondered. Yeah, he well, was. I guess what I might, that's, that's a lot of, 
That's very interesting. How did this movie flopping affect all of that? Did that um, really steal his juice? No, not really, because he, like I said, he made he made uh, Bad and the Beautiful like the next year, and that was a big hit. And he made, you know, he was. I don't think I, I don't think most people thought, even though Kirk Douglas is the star of this movie, I don't think that it's flopping really hurt him. I think it was more it kind of his flopping maybe hit Billy Wilder a little more because Billy Wilder had this reputation not undeserved as being like, you know, the cynic cynic. I mean, he made The Apartment, which we just talked right. about. He made Sunset Boulevard, this, The Last Weekend. I mean, none of these are like they're all great movies, but none of them are the jolliest movies about the human condition. No, you know I, mean, what I mean, Jesus, is, there's like a isn't isn't uh the apartment features an abortion. I can't well, they now, they but. refer to it. They obliquely refer to abortion, but it it it's a big thing in it is a suicide attempt. Right, like right, right in the middle of this romantic Christmas comedy is a very serious suicide attempt. So yeah, so and the movie it has this reputation of bombing because it is. I mean, as you'll attest, it's kind of a tough movie. You know, it's it's not the happiest movie. It wasn't a huge bomb. It just didn't make back its money, and it was starring, you know, starred Kirk Douglas and was directed by Billy Wilder. People were expecting a big fat hit, and it just didn't deliver on that. Yeah, I, I read that they he got lent out from his studio to another studio. I forget the studios, but it, it's he went from you know yeah, this Warner was I to, think this was Paramount, maybe maybe Warner to Paramount or yeah yeah. It, I mean Paramount produced the movie, right? That's it's their yeah, movie. it's a Paramount studio movie, yeah. So so I, they. They paid, I mean, like a hundred thousand dollars. Like, I mean, an obscene amount of money. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, essentially, because I was looking up the, you know, he's a thousand dollar a day reporter. So, you know, what is that in today's money? And it's like ten grand. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, he, he, again, he was kind of a, he was bullshitting too. You know, I mean, sure. Well, but he got it. I mean, he got at the end. You know, he got his money. He got paid sixty. The the guy when he hires him because he offers to do it for fifty, he goes, "We pay sixty dollars here." <laughs> Well, no, but uh, once 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 he quits the Albuquerque paper and yeah. joins the New York paper, he gets the guy to agree to a thousand dollars a day because he had that huge story, you know. He was yeah, like, and he did it for a week, so he made seventy thousand dollars that week yeah. as a reporter. What kind of newspaper can afford a seventy thousand dollar week? Come on, man. Nowadays, no reporter they can afford right. seventy thousand dollar executives. Though I'll tell you right now. <laughs> All right, Tatum, you're a very comical guy, and I promise I'm gonna laugh hard, but not right now. What about that Monosa story? Yes, the weather's fine in New York. No, it's not raining. Yes, he's still here. Come on, Tatum, how much for the Minosa story? Exclusive. What? Don't you know there's a war on somewhere? I'll give you a thousand dollars. What do you think I got here? A plane crash or a set of quadruplets? This is a circulation builder. It'll go another four days. Beautiful copy coming. Speak up fast. There's a waiting list. So you think you've got me over a barrel? All right. Maybe you have. Give you a thousand a day. As long as it lasts. Mr. Nagel, you're not getting the point. How did you feel about the portrayal of journalism in this movie? And and uh, maybe a follow-up. <laughs> um, am I too naive? Is there some element of journalism that does work a little bit like this? It's just exaggerated for the movie because this just slapped me in the face for everything I've ever known about journalism. Well, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's it's interesting because obviously he is portrayed horribly and sort of the idea that you could milk this story and, you know, that's a, a cynical look. But, I mean, 
you know, the the editor played by Porter Hall, the kind of kindly, old, you know, the, the the quiet guy that hires him, he's yeah. portrayed as a decent guy. You know what I mean? He's not yeah. portrayed as a grasping, scheming journalist. And no, but all the other New York reporters that were there in, like, the bullpen, you know, while things were happening. Well, yeah, I mean. They all kind of understood how the game was being played. They sure. didn't like it, but they, you know, and, I feel like they would have switched places and done the same thing. Sure, and I think part of the, it, part of this is a tradition of, movies were all if you watch like old movies about newspapers like the we did the his girl friday remember or if you do the front page or five star final or those those movies are <laughs> journalists are portrayed as the lowest of low and like having a great time doing that like, yeah they're gleefully amoral and part of that is because <laughs> those movies were written by journalists who went to California and made a shit ton of money and they, you know, is it more fun to write a realistic portrayal of journalism or is it more fun to write a crazy seat of the pants portrayal of journalism? I just want to see one movie write or have, have the, the plot line where the reporter goes out and has four beers on a Friday because it's Friday and it's you should be allowed to. And then something terrible happens and you have to make a decision. And do I go cover this event drunk or do I not? <laughs> There are because you need to watch you need to watch more movies because there are tons of movies where reporters go cover stuff drunk. Yeah, but I don't know. Like they never feel real. I don't know. No, you never have to like talk to the police drunk. They're they're like happy drunk. They're not like, oh, I might get a DUI doing this story drunk. Oh, nobody back then worried about getting a DUI because they were all friends with the cops. <laughs> but anyway, old movies. Old movies are the bane of everything I ever talk about. Old movies are the you, you, you need to watch more old movies and uh, skip Lord of the Rings and whatever else your, your little Pixar cartoons that you watch. And that. <laughs> what well, I was going to say, though, is wait, what I was going to say is um, this movie was inspired by a guy named Floyd Collins, who was trapped in a cave in Kentucky. And um, they the reporters turned it into a national event, you know. I mean, they yeah. turned this and then it, it happened a, a couple. This has happened before. You may be too young to remember this, but there was a little girl named Jessica. I can't yeah, remember. Oh, I remember the well. Yeah, yeah the she well. fell in the well. That story was huge. 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 Now, but now thankfully, is, nobody that, was trying to keep her in the well. They got her out of the well. But. Doesn't that feel like it organically happened, though? Just you hear that story and go, Jesus, that's what the, I want to know more. Well, but I mean, some reporter had, you know. It's one little girl falling in a well. It really doesn't have any impact on anyone outside of that community. But some reporter somewhere said, hey, this is interesting and got it on the wires. And, you know, there's this yeah. Radio Days, the Woody Allen movie has a section where they somebody a kid gets trapped in a well, too. And it doesn't end like it did in real life. It ends tragically. And it's like it's interesting because there's like this media frenzy. And then when they find the body, then it's like it's all very sad. But I want to like, give this movie some credit. Uh, the, a lot of times, the old, the older movies we do on this podcast, the actors seem like they think they're in a play. They think they're on a stage. They're trying to project their voices as they talk about the. the you know, there, there's always like this weird, like you had, you had mentioned earlier, sort of caught between talkies and silent films or, or whatever. That's not what this I movie, said. <laughs> but well, I know this, what I know what you're saying. Uh, to me, that, that happens a lot. We just see it a lot. And in this particular movie, uh, you know, like uh, you once showed me the the documentary about how everybody had to like lean in and talk into the microphone that was a potted plant on the table. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. This movie, 
felt modern enough. The way the actors acted, the yeah. way it did. Well, that was felt- 20 years before this movie. That was like the first year of talkies is what ha- when that happened. I mean, no, they, I, I, they figured I totally out the technology it, right? pretty quickly after that. But like, think about movies 20 years ago. I mean, are they really that different from now? I mean, how old is Eternal Sunshine? Uh, not quite 20 years, but getting there. But you see my point? Like, I mean, there's not that much difference between Eternal Sunshine and some drama that comes out now, like Spotlight or something, whatever, right? I just was thinking of a journalism movie, but... But I was saying the technology has changed, because if you're talking about when they used to talk into microphones, they were disguised as a potted plant. I mean, they figured that out between this and 1951, you know. But the style of acting in that era, in those those types of movies, like that, the cat movie you made me watch. Cat people. Again, that was long after they figured out the microphone technology. That movie is very subtle. That is not a shout for the wall's uh, acting performance. Kirk is more like that, I would argue. You're nitpicking. You're nitpicking my point is all I'm trying to say is I thought the acting seemed modern. Like, I mean, it could, this, this movie could have been like, you know, a seventies movie or something. You know, it it didn't strike me as a forties and fifties type of influence. It's a dark, cynical movie, which in the seventies were all, you know, I mean, a lot of directors who worked in the seventies like this movie, you know, like I'm sure Scorsese is a huge fan of this movie. Just because that kind of, there is, there is a little bit of like, um, speech like pontificating like everybody's making a speech whenever they talk you're like all right man the, yeah. the dialogue's not that natural but yeah that's okay you mean like when gandalf says fly like an eagle or whatever he says when he falls that's out yeah exactly <laughs> him and who, who wrote that song is that uh fly like an eagle is that seal who the hell wrote fly like an eagle seal Dis- seal <laughs> seal, seal. <laughs> it's, it's steve miller man i think okay well i was thinking of the 90s version because that's you know my era that's right seal wrote that batman song god i just tried to pay a compliment to this movie and tell you that i thought <laughs> the acting was pretty good and you just had to be like a, just a righteous dick for five minutes that's what the podcast is <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> have you forgotten so soon here's uh here's the part of the movie that outside of just the unlikability that i did not enjoy i i thought the, the cave set was laughably fraudulent i just i felt like the guy at any moment just get up dude it, it all felt like he had paper mache sitting on him. It felt very weak to me. Well, I don't know. We're going to agree to disagree on this. <laughs> it is all CGI, Billy. <laughs> that never once occurred to me watching that. Like, this cave set looks fake. It never. I just, it looked crappy. I don't know. Like, you see, you see, like, um, in the apartment, you know, just how well constructed that movie is. Everything about the apartment is really beautiful. There's a lot of, a lot of scenes in Ace in the Hole that just don't look that great. There, there are a lot that look really good, too. Yeah. I mean, but, this is it's not like they didn't like run out of budget or Billy Water all of a sudden said, oh, shit, I shot a bad scene in that save. This was a big budget Hollywood movie. They had, you know, high level craftsmen building everything in it. Was, I, I understand. But people get better. You know, craftsmen get better at building stuff over time. Right. Like the apartment came out a decade later. Yeah. Of course, it looks better. <laughs> Billy Wilder got better. Thank <laughs> you. I, well, I don't understand. Why I'll is this a controversial point to you? I don't, I don't understand. Because like this, this you, feels like an, uh, a less developed movie than. But he had already been working in Hollywood for like twenty years at this point. This is that's not right, like but a, now a, he's worked thirty years. How do you think we're going to be better? But at okay, this but podcast? wait. So his movies in the late seventies, which came out almost twenty years after the Apartment, they should be better than the Apartment, right? But well, they're no, not. And get, I challenge you to watch them. Then you get old and crappy. That's what happens to all of us. Then you vote for Trump. <laughs> I'm not voting for Trump. I don't care how old I am. It ain't never going to happen. <laughs> I was thinking about, uh, somebody said something to me. They said, think about how unbearable all these people are at like 55. All these like white, schlubby Trump voters now. Think about how much more unbearable they're going to be in 20 years. Well, thankfully, COVID may take care of a lot of that. So. <laughs>
<laughs> so um what what um what are your favorite scenes in this movie what what really sticks with you when you think about ace in the hole like what what brings you to it i like i love any scene where you could see like the wheels turning in kirk douglas's head like as he sees the when he sees leo trapped his like you he immediately starts thinking like how can i milk this and then when he corrupts the there's like a cub reporter who kind of tags along with him is he a photographer or a cub reporter the young guy you know he like his yeah, i think he's both i think he's sort of a jack of all yeah. trades and he's like in a lesser movie i think he'd be the innocent good guy who Mr. Douglas, you're doing wrong. And he is almost instantly corrupted. It's a fine thing. Now I have to pay to see you. Howdy, Sam. Did you read the paper? That I did. Broke pretty good, huh? Food flashed a couple of hundred words over the wires and they came back for more. They went all we've got. Yeah, figures. And we wired all the art, too. What a break for me. If this keeps up, maybe life will go for it. Or look, one of those four-page spreads. You like it now, don't you? Well, everybody likes a break. We didn't make it happen. And then there's this scene. This actually isn't Kirk Douglas, but there's also the scene when um, this family who just happens to be there, like they were, they're going somewhere for a tour and they just happened to stop here. They were looking for food or I don't know, something. And uh, they, the guy's trapped and the husband is like, well, let's show this to the kids. It'll be educational. And you can like see just how like, you know, even this average all-American family. Let, let's go look at this man in mortal danger. It'll be educational for the kids. And sure, and Kirk like well, senses. You know, we can we can open your restaurant. We can make a lot of money doing this. Well, the first thing he says is, "How'd you hear about this? Did you read the exactly. paper?" And he's like, "Bingo." Is that the mountain? Is he still in there? That's the mountain, and he's still in there. Anything else you want to know? No, no, just stopping by to take a look. Uh, the name's for Derber. We're on our way to Bottomless Lake. Going to get in a week of fishing and boating. For as long as we're this close. Glad you dropped in, folks. Uh, how'd you hear about it? Are you one of the family? Uh, no, just a friend. Well, haven't you seen the paper? It's full of it. Got one? Sure. Picked one up in Albuquerque. Come on, Nellie. Tilt. Thanks. I just like... I like watching movies, whether they're good or evil, about people who are, like, really smart and really clever and... Like have like you we were talking earlier about how that scene at the beginning of uh Inglorious Bastards, Christoph Waltz. Yeah. And how he's a fascinating character because he's he's arguably the smartest guy in the movie. You yes. know, he's always I, playing the angle. You mean he's not as smart as or he's smarter than Brad Pitt? Well, I know. Who said, but, but, he may, but what's her name? Uh Shoshana. Maybe she's smarter, yeah. but maybe she's lucky too. You know, I mean it's like, you know, she's but uh I like watching movies with smart people, whether they're good or evil. That's how I feel. It's a good story today. Tomorrow, they'll wrap a fish in it. Exactly. I love, and I love that cynicism. I, and maybe also I like, you know, we both worked in newsrooms for years. And it's, you know, newsrooms, for whatever they are, they're just, you know, they can be very corporate and very... You know, da 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 da, both sides. And I love seeing journalists who are just like completely amoral and are just willing to do whatever it takes. <laughs> That's a fun movie. <laughs> How did you feel about Kirk Douglas beating the crap out of uh, Leo's wife? When he choked her with the thing? No, oh, that's the second time. How about the first time? Oh, that's when, well, he, he's, when he slapped her he's, and then said, that's right, leave those tears. That's Don't right. wipe them. That's right. He's, well, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to watch a bastard. If I'm going to watch a guy being a, like, you know, being evil. I don't want to see him be a little bit evil. I want to see him go all the way. And she 
I'm not saying she, you know, deserve to get smacked yes, you around. Yes, you're about to say she has it coming. That's no, what you're about I'm to not say. saying well, that. But she state. is just as willing to sort of play that role. Like, what does he say? Like, you know, you should say a prayer. She's like kneeling bags by nylons or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. She's Jan. She and uh, Jan Sterling, the actress. She's like really well cast because you know she's like. In some angles, maybe she's like, you know, a good looking, basic 50s blonde kind of, you know, actress. But she also has this look about her like she's just a mean woman, you know, and she's, you know, you believe instantly she would ditch Leo for anything, you know. Yeah. Well, she said she wanted to ditch him for a while. Yeah. I mean, she's tried before. She said she got as far as some other town. Right. The town was. Then there was nowhere else to go. Yes. Um, I, I question... I, I don't know. I was going to say I question why they needed to have him hit her. I mean, he could have, like, berated her. He's so clever. But, the, you know, I mean, he, he's so smart. He's so cynical. He's so clever that I felt like he could have, like, bullied her into it. But I do think there is something to be said about how physical his presence is. He's a, yeah. He feels big. He doesn't seem like a little five foot three guy. Like, he he seems, was, I think he was, like, five seven. He was not a big guy. He seems big. He, he has, yeah. like, a physical presence to him. Oh, he never, like, you know... He either never stops moving or he's like always like, you know, pacing around or yeah, he was a very physical actor. You see him like hop out of his car when it's on mm-hmm. the tow truck and he's just he just seems like a big dumb jog. I mean, not dumb, but like he just seems yeah. like a like Biff, you know, like how yeah. the way Biff feels so much bigger than Marty. But he was he was like he was not a big guy, but he just, yeah. you know, he was you get the feeling he was just all like, you know, I, you don't see an ounce of fat on him. His head is like a skull essentially with that. You know, the little divot in his chin. And I know. You mean like a red skull? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, Billy. <laughs> I won't have you insult Kirk Douglas. But his son is in the Marvel movies. You know, his son is uh, yeah. Hank Pym. Yeah, no, I, I, I got it. He's he's the old ant man. Uh, did I miss anything? Is there anything else you want to catch up on this movie? Uh, I, I I just uh, let me maybe put a button on it. I, I don't. I wouldn't want want to watch this again, but. I, I can recognize the appeal of it. I appreciate a lot of the aspects. Sincerely, I appreciate a lot of the cynicism, a lot of the like, this feels like something different. And it's apparent yeah. to me as I watch it. I just, I didn't enjoy it that much. It, most of the time when I give you a bad review lately, it's like, eh, it wasn't for me. I actually, it's not that it wasn't for me. I didn't like this movie, but I, I do get it. I, I can understand the appeal. Sure, I understand. I mean, and it's it's a movie that, you know, it doesn't really go out of its way to be liked. I mean, you the main character is not someone you were rooting for. No, you know, I guess a lot of times when I watch a movie, it's it's not just like escapism. I don't know. you. The movie we're going to do next week is AI, artificial intelligence. And when I watch that movie, I feel like I can relate it to my life in a lot of ways. I, I know that's, not, that's a weird thing to say. Let me get this like, straight. I, I don't know. There's a movie about an average I guy who goes out know, west and go. this, and a movie about a robot baby who thinks he's Pinocchio in the future <laughs> where there's flying cars and everything. May, I mean, maybe, honestly, maybe it's like the, you know, the black and white setting, the old aesthetic, the See, maybe I, the fact that it's older makes it harder for me to place myself in it. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to objectively criticize my approach. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem. But yeah, I mean, you know me. And I mean, it's a personal thing with me. But I, if I were given a choice to watch an old movie or a newer movie, nine times out of ten, I'd probably go for the old movie. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. But, you know. And I like, I'll say one thing I like about this movie is I think a lot of movies now, even good ones, they really make an effort to make the characters likable. Yeah, there, and, there's like an adage that you have to. And you know, I like a movie where they were not 
they were going to put this story out and they didn't care if you liked him or not. He does not try and be likable. He, I think he's very charismatic, but he's not admirable in any way, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, at the end, he only basically tries to save the guy because he completely screwed up. I might regret saying this, but couldn't, couldn't you make that case for, you know, late career Kevin Spacey? You see him and stuff and you go, that guy, I mean, Baby Driver or whatever. But in like, Baby Driver, he was playing a villain. But he's he's a villain with like father-like parental qualities, you know, right. where he's, you know, here's, maybe one more job and you're out. You know, that kind of, he's got this sort of. But he was never going to let him out. I, I know that, and you, but that's a reveal. You don't, you know. Oh, um, but I think right at the beginning, you kind of know he's never going to let him. See, here's the thing. If you made the Baby Driver character like kirk douglas in this movie then i think you'd have that would be a comparison like he okay. was just like a cynical asshole yeah that's that's a good point that's my comparison. yeah i don't know i was trying to think of any other kind of deeply cynical on like i mean i guess maybe clive owen and children of men is pretty you know bleak but, but he's not he's not a bad guy but even then he's saved. yeah i mean and i i like those movies i mean i like like we talked about casablanca i would not like casablanca anywhere near as much as i do if he stayed cynical the whole way and never came and fought on the side. You know, he never had that moment when he realized there was things bigger than him. You can make the case that that's that's like the one. <laughs> Here we go. You can make the case that that's the one redeeming quality of Indiana Jones, that he's he's kind of a bastard in those early movies. He, he doesn't care. Well, and the yeah, well, he doesn't. He's he, I mean, the one in Indiana Jones, the one moment that the emotion. I mean, I love those movies, but I don't think. They're not like that emotionally involving. They're fun to watch, but as a character, he's just kind of Indiana. But there is a scene in um, uh, Temple of Doom when he finally, like, you know, he's he hasn't beaten the bad guy, but he's like saved himself, and he's got his little buddy, and his little buddy Short Round says, like, "Let's go home." And then Indiana Jones says, "That's right, all of us," and he's going to save all the kids. That's the only time he really makes an effort to save other people. Well, that's, that's that's what I'm getting at. Is yeah, that he's he's very self interested. He does not care if if yeah. some other treasure hunter, you know, whatever. I mean, he murders a lot of people, tons. And then you know, the later movies, he's he's become the later movies. A I mean, that last that last movie. I mean, I it, let's just ignore that exists. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> and they're making another one. And well, I think Spielberg said he's not doing it. Well, they're gonna somebody's gonna do it, and yeah. Spielberg's I, I making really West Side Story with your buddy Anson Elgort, so we'll see if that comes out. I saw a good tweet that was like, if you're Steven Spielberg and you're 73 years old or whatever the hell he is, like, do you really want to make Indiana Jones 5? You get to do five more movies and then you die? Like, what no. do you want to do? I know. You, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that's like Scorsese. It's like you have X amount of time left. What movies are you going to make? Because, you, right. you know, each one's going to, you know, as you get older, it's harder and harder to make them. Maybe that's why people's last movies aren't usually their best because it's... It's hard. It's a young man's game, or at least a middle-aged man's game. I, I completely get it. So, um, all right. Any any final thoughts? I think I might have already asked you that, but um, no, I think. I mean, I I like it, but I can see why you don't like it. And it's, but I just thought if we're going to focus on Kirk Douglas, this would be an interesting one to do because it's like pure undiluted Kirk. Yeah, it's it's a it's driven by him. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's a vehicle for his his stardom. Did he did he write this? No, no, no. But he probably, you know, this is maybe before he started producing, but he was, I mean, Billy Wilder is one of the biggest directors in Hollywood at this point. So he was clearly like on the ascendant, you know, he was a big star and he was like. So you heard what we thought about 
Ace in the Hole. If you'd like to let us know what you think of Ace in the Hole, find us on Facebook. Uh, we own the name Out of Theaters, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I think are the three we care about. Get in there. Leave us a comment. We mention people's names all the time. We try to keep the show a little bit interactive, at least. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. Right, Will? We would. Seriously. I mean, thanks for everyone who contributed at the beginning with your powerful movie moments. We always ask folks to jump on to iTunes, um, or, or I guess Apple Podcasts now, and leave us a five-star review. Um, we're up to 25 now, uh, which isn't a lot, but you know, I like to read them off. The last one is from somebody named Park SSR. The uh, headline is just a big grinning emoji. It's basically my face. It <laughs> says, does have a big smile. I'm so glad these guys are back. I love this podcast during the first run and can't wait to listen to it again. If you dig movies, check this one out, which we appreciate. Um, there's a bunch, there's actually a bunch in here from, from COVID time. Maybe we'll <laughs> grab one of those next time. Um, but yeah, we, we really appreciate it. It helps us. It helps sort of legitimize um, a program that takes a lot of work. Um, <laughs> many hours to put one of these together. And that leads me to thank a couple of donors. Um, I'm not going to read last names, but um, I think uh, we specifically want to thank Eric. Uh, I'm not going to say last names on these, but Eric left us a nice donation in early May and COVID sidelined us. So we didn't get a chance to specifically thank him. But thank hey you, guys, Eric. Very generous. Thank you so much. Um, we put that in the show pot, and then when it comes time to renew website hosting or domains or microphones break, whatever, we, we put it toward that. So um, we very much appreciate our audience, um, and we appreciate you guys sticking with us. We know that the schedule's been sporadic. Um, it probably will continue to be, honestly. We'll try to get a couple out a month, but I don't know if we're going to have a specific schedule. It's hard, but people. We're, we're remote now. We're remote. This is this is uh, being recorded through Google Hangouts because we don't have pro Zoom accounts, and I don't want the 40-minute time limit. That's right. Or whatever. <laughs> so um, that being said, we do have our next movie picked out and we both have watched it. So, Will, do you want to review or uh, reveal that? We are going to talk about Steven Spielberg's movie AI. Uh, your favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I've. <laughs> it's not my favorite. I think it's a very interesting movie, though. But this I think this will be an interesting discussion. I'm I'm very glad we're doing this. This this is um this is one that I have an emotional connection to and. Uh, while I do recognize its flaws, I, I do unapologetically love this movie. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to talk about what and I'm into. who suggested it, Billy? Me. Your I buddy, think, right? I think you suggested it, which is, that's, that's weird. That's, I don't weird. understand other people being nice to me. <laughs> well, don't, it's not going to continue into the actual episode on AI. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. That's great. We'll, we'll, um, we'll get that recorded and get that out as quick as we can, but, um, Will, I, it's, it's always fun doing this with you. I'm glad we're still doing this. I movie. love doing it. Excellent. Okay. Uh, until next time, we'll miss you all. Most of all. Most of all.